Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. Good morning. This is Fresh Art International, and I'm Kathy Bird. Our podcast explores the world to capture the oral history of contemporary art and culture at the center and fringe of this planet's creative universe. Today, we're streaming on joltradio.org in Miami. That's the city where we've been based since 2013, and it is the source of endless great stories. Today's is no exception. Welcome to the Jolt Studio, Michelle Lisa Polisan. Hi, how are you? Nadja Moon. Hello, Kathy. And Melody Santiago Cummings. Hi there, good morning. Hi, Michelle and Nadja are visual artists based in Miami. (laughs) And Melody is managing director of the poetry festival known as Oh Miami. We're here to introduce Michelle's and Nadja's collaboration with Oh Miami. And we've invited Melody to share other stories about a festival that's been transforming our cultural landscape one poem at a time since 2011. Congratulations on that. Thank you. All of you. I'm very excited to share your work. Let's start with Michelle. I want to introduce you properly. Visual artist and arts organizer, Bachelor of Fine Arts degree from FIU, Florida International University in Photography and Fiber-Based Painting. You explore the nature of human interaction through textiles and photographs. In your community activations, you encourage artists and community members to form collaborative relationships. I'm really interested to hear more about that today. And in particular, I want to talk about a part of your art practice that I learned about in the last few months, Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) And that is your voice. You have a voice, so many voices in your creative practice, but this one is a voice I think people are still discovering. Yeah, still a little surprised all the time. So you have a project. You received uh, an Ellie. That's a special art award here in Miami through the Arts Center of South Florida, now known as Oolite Arts. And it's called Moonshine Monin. Would you introduce that to us? Yeah, so Moonshine Monin is a project that I started to think about last year. Basically, I, I realized that there was all these black queer jazz singers that existed. And I just found that their rebellious nature that seemed to be like the common thread of conversations around them, which maybe it's like meant to be provocative in some way too, but particularly like Ma Rainey and Bessie Smith came to mind. And so I started kind of like researching their lives and who they were, getting super interested in the entire history of those people. And so I wanted to pay homage to them by performing as them, taking on their personas. And so the first part of the project was introducing myself to the project. And then I did one performance and there's one more coming after this one. This is from the history from the 1920s and 30s when being gay wasn't necessarily something people talked about. Yeah. And the first song we're going to share today, it was the first performance you did. You called us a performance with your singing called Coming and Going. Tell me what inspired that piece. Part of the whole project of taking on these personas and performing as them was that I want to eventually work on my own music. And so I decided to make a video that was kind of me in the current before I started, like, doing this research. 
you know? And so the video is me contemplating on like a past relationship in a way, or like just past relationships in general, love, and because of the song that is being played. And the song is like a very contemporary song by like a singer that I've, I find her lyricism really sweet and caring. And who is that? Her name's Kirby, and the song is called Love By You. And it's like, it's just, it's just sweet. And I thought that was really reminiscent of things that I actually do in my house, which is just like sing songs and wander around. That's one thing I wanted to talk about, the wandering part. I think it's like the anxious person's like reaction to life and existing is just like either you like fidget or like you pace, you do something with your hands in some way or with your feet, whatever. And I do all of them. So let's hear this piece from Coming and Going. Bless my soul, I've been alone too long. Somebody without someone is no one at all. And baby, all these nights I struggled and fought my pride. Scared that someone your type couldn't see past my flaws. Oh, cause I heard that heaven ain't easy to get to. The closest I'll get might be right next to you. beautiful 
I'm thrilled to hear it. I'm thrilled to share it. I've never heard myself in like that much HD sound. <laughs> How's it feel? Really weird, but it's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. You heard the ambient. You heard your, your home, <laughs> yeah. didn't you, in the background? Yeah. That was so beautiful. Thank you. How has the public responded to learning this side of you, Michelle? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have, like, a public. We're going to work on that. Um, but, yeah, people were just kind of – people were receptive in, like, a positive way. I think it's, like, one of those things where when people meet you in different periods of your life and what you're focused on is what they know about. And so a lot of people have just met me when I've been focusing on visual arts, but I'm, like, classically trained and, like, did the whole thing, so. That's so cool. How has singing now at this time in your life, you said people know you at certain times and they, that's what they know. How has this impacted how you work now as an artist? I went this route of being really, really insulated and, like, focusing on just, like, my space and what I want to produce. I would say in the last, like, two years or so since I've been working collaboratively a lot more specifically with Black and Naja, I've wanted to share more with people about myself, more, like, inward. So I think it spawned from that. It's just kind of helping me be a little bit more open and, like, visible in a certain way. Yeah. And you were very visible during Art Basel at the Brickle <laughs> City Center. Yeah. What kind of audience did you have for that performance you did? So it was a... Uh, an exhibition. I was going to say a gallery show, but not really. It's, it was an exhibition within Brickell City Center. So the audience was mostly like arts people and um, tourists and people who were like shopping, who like wandered in. So it was kind of like a mixed bag of people in there. Yeah. How did it look? I stripped it more than I thought it would, ha- would because of the space that I was occupying. I really wanted to like just let it be the space that it was. And there was this like big piece by Senessa near me, which was reminiscent of something like a disco ball baby, I guess, is the closest thing to compare it to, and it's like six feet. And so that one, I wore like a dress, shiny dress, cut a dress made for it. I had a band that performed with me. A live band. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I've never done that before, actually. I felt really excited about being able to perform in that manner, put it together, you know? I was a little stressed out before it happened, but <laughs> I, I liked it once it finished, was finished. And we're going to play the first song that you performed. Tell us who you're channeling in this music. This performance was Ma Rainey. She's just known for being super, like, brash in a certain way and maybe a little mean. And I, I kind of like that about her. So I was like, yeah, I really I really like this person. Um, she was also in, I don't remember where it was written, but she was, like, considered the, the ugliest woman in show business or something at one point. Like, that was, like, a thing that was said about her. And I just thought that, like, her having this kind of reputation of, like, ugliness, but then also being, like, I don't care and, like, uh, I can get whatever woman I want at the same time. I think it's cool. Yeah. So sort of defiant song. Her, she inge- her like, existence seems to be Her existence <laughs> itself. Defiant, yeah. Okay. Well, let's hear this one. Which way to go? 
just listening and learning that Naja Moon has music in her history. Yeah. <laughs> Performing yeah. parents. I do. Pretty, They're pretty awesome. Yeah. Amazing. I love the story you just told us that I uh, used to sit uh, on a bar stool and drink milk <laughs> to be around them. Ice cream is still, you know, my favorite food. Maybe it came from that, the dairy that I had as a youth. <laughs> Maybe. Well, let me introduce Naja Moon. I'm so glad you're here today. We've been talking about having you in the studio. We have an episode with Naja I recorded in 2018 to celebrate the Black family's third anniversary. Yes. And you're both members and other friends of mine are members of the Black family, this amazing group that just won a Wavemaker grant. That is Woo-hoo. true, yes. Through Locust Projects and the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Arts. Yep. So... Awesome. Our first grant. We feel like we're really in the game now. <laughs> you are in the game. <laughs> yeah. Bravo. <laughs> so, Naja's co-founder of the Black Family, co-creator of the Girls' Lunchbox. Tell us what the Girls' Lunchbox is. So, this Girls' Lunchbox is a queer women's membership club that Octavia Yearwood and I started about two years ago. We host a space for a group of women to get together and kind of center art as how we connect and get to know each other. That's beautiful. And maybe scroll back briefly and say what the Black family does together. Yes. And and the Black family, we're going on to, in August, we are fourth year. We're an artist collective. We're about 12 strong now. Kind of a similar ethos of just like trying to use art as a vehicle to connect folks. So we started with a lot of culinary-based programming. Our dinner was the first installation we ever put together. And we also have a performance series called Freedom Sessions that is, you know, a big part of our our regular programming. I am interested in how you're 
involved in another social practice project, a like, tiny truck. I was like, what else do I do? What else I do, do too do? many things. <laughs> I know, but the one I want to share today is this micro-residency that you do. You've called it a micro-mobile residency, living life as practice. This is a project in planning still. In December, I purchased a 15-foot U-Haul box truck. And I've been working on converting it into a tiny house. In thinking about talking about this project, I realized there's some direct parallels to this project with Oh Miami that is, you know, commenting on gentrification. And I purchased this truck at a time where I was being displaced from my apartment in Little Haiti and had to make a decision like, do I really want to do this thing where I build a house on wheels and try to live this much more minimal life? And in the process of learning about how to make that happen, I was like, this would be a really great idea to use the opportunity of living in this space as inspiration for new work or new conversations for artists. So you're building it out into a space where they can live Mm -hmm. during short residencies. Correct. What what are you thinking of the duration of this opportunity? I'm thinking of it as a two-week stay partnering with different organizations in Miami where the truck can have a home base and park so they can, you know, kind of tap into other folks' community, whether it be at Bakehouse where I am now or at Smoke Signals and, you know, get the, give them a different taste of Miami based on where they park. But they can be mobile for two weeks. I saw some photos of the plans. Mm-hmm. It looks very spare and beautiful. My Thank kind you. of living. I live in a tiny studio myself. Word. I learned how to use SketchUp to to do that. I was like, if I'm going to do this, I have to know. I have to know everything. So it's been a cool process. Well, what's the motivation behind this? I read something you wrote to encourage people to discover their creative side outside formal education. Mm, yeah, I I have one particular story that really inspired the talk part of this concept where, you know, at the end of the residency, having a public forum to have a conversation. I was chatting with a couple of incredible artists and friends who were like Yale MFA guys. So, you know, they kind of have the ticket to the market and just having a regular ass conversation with them about life, about how women are complicated and how that informs our art practice. And for hours, we just chatted and drank beer. And I realized that you don't go to any art talks that feel like that. They're super academic or conceptual or you're being talked at instead of having a conversation with. And I think for that reason, there's a lot of communities that find those kind of art spaces inaccessible. So I was like, how do we create a living situation and a public speaking forum that feels like people are welcome. And I think that that starts with the energy of a home. That's kind of the tie-in with the the tiny house. It's a great idea to to generate creative space without all the trappings. Mm -hmm. I like the simplicity of it. It looked from your website that you've had a few residents, or you have residents lined up? I have, yes, residents lined up, other artist friends. So just trying to get ahead of the game as much as possible and seek funding to continue the project. So far, I've been, you know, I've bought the truck with my own money. I've been working on it with friends. So whatever resources I can get from other folks to actualize this idea faster, that's what I'm looking for. All right. We'll give people a chance to find you at the end of this. They want to jump in and help you build this, (laughs) build this truck. (laughs) 
So, Melody, you facilitated Nadja's and Michelle's latest project through O Miami. Mm -hmm. Tell us what O Miami is. So, O Miami is a 30-day poetry festival. We're a 501c3 that produces a poetry festival, a publishing imprint called Highlight Books, and a poetry in schools program called Sunroom. But most people know us and encounter us through the poetry festival, which takes all April, which is National Poetry Month. And it's really our opportunity to expand the reach of poetry, who is a reader and writer of poetry, and what the definition of poetry is. And so the festival is mainly crowdsourced. So we do an open call for proposals, and we try to cast a really wide net for ideas and project managers and creatives in Miami and outside of Florida to propose ideas or continue expanding on existing ideas to help bring poetry to Miami-Dade County and to its residents. You know, our goal is really simple. It's have every resident encounter and poem and encounter can mean literally anything. And so it's really exciting for us to have friends of ours, artists and major cultural institutions want to experiment and propose fun, exciting ideas that either haven't been done before in the scape of poetry or in South Florida. I realized just now, I forgot to mention that Melody is a proud Miami native, and that she's been working 10 years in the arts and with Miami for six years. What I like about your interest and your practice is how you have a personal commitment, I can see, to empower Miami's marginalized communities to participate. Oh, Miami doesn't have like one central face or voice. So we tried to have everyone kind of take some ownership and empower everyone to take our mission however they say fit and bring it into their community. So, yeah, it really enables people who perhaps have never facilitated an art project or done something in sort of the public space in that it really sort of opens doors to other communities because there's no way that we as a small collective could identify every need, every language, every kind of interesting little quirk of Miami. So by giving other people that opportunity and funding or sort of just facilitation and support, we were catalysts. You wrote about it as well, calling it an ecosystem that is all about Miami. Miami participation and engagement is what it takes to make Oh Miami turn into what it's become. It's a year-round presence, but the festival itself, to me, every year, it just gets a little more interesting, more surprising. And I love the intersection with contemporary art that's been there, but I see it growing, and I like that. I see your goals are to build community, reimagine, and document Miami. It's all about Miami. Mm -hmm. And it's a big city, but it still seems like a small town. In the art world, you always see the people you know, and I love how this pushes out into zones that might not, like you said, Nadja might not feel comfortable in conversation with an artist. Mm -hmm. They're following them down the beach, or they're getting under their umbrella, and they're (laughs) understanding why it's important. What are some of the issues surfacing, or issues that are being addressed, or talked about or highlighted in O Miami 
2019 festival, Melody. It's always surprising to see the kinds of themes or common concepts that come in through the proposals each year, because we do the call in the fall for the spring. And this year, just immediately, sort of once we rallied and, and selected like about 40 or so ideas, it was pretty glaringly obvious that like empathy was a something that really underscored this year's festival. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of workshops that reached diverse audiences, not solely focusing on neighborhoods, but by people who perhaps could be voiceless. So we had some workshops that we brought poets and poetry to senior citizen groups in low-income communities. We had workshops that brought poetry to substance abuse centers. We have a poetry in, in schools program that we just recently added language of poetry in English, Spanish, Creole, and French. So we're really adding to more of the other Miami, the Miami that is existing and speaks different languages and perhaps isn't so front and public like in the cultural artscape. I think there's always going to be an element in our festival, but specifically this year of the topics that you're hearing a lot about. So migration was a big one this year. Gentrification was a big one. It's always just the ideas that percolate from Miami then reverberate out into its art and eventually to its poetry. Exactly. Which leads us to the gentrification topic, which has already been featured in a conversation on Fresh Art International that I had with a poet, Aja Monet, and Mina Jagannath and Eddie Arroyo last fall about their actions and events and festivals to highlight and empower the local community to respond to gentrification in Miami. And that seems to be the motivation for the project that you two have created for this year. I've got the title, Who's the Fool? How to Patch a Leaky Roof. Tell me all about it, Naja and Michelle. What inspired this project? The project was inspired by a rainy day in Little Haiti and just being at the corner. Like, we live on 59th and Northeast 1st, and seeing people walk by with these, like, big blue design district umbrellas and feeling like, like, damn, like, that's not, like, you shouldn't be carrying that in Little Haiti. You know, like, it's just these tools of marketing for gentrification, for the gentrification that's happening in the design district. We just thought that it, it Little Haiti deserved one of its own, you know, or like specifically responding to them in a certain way. Yeah. Let's talk about the gentrification part. Little Haiti used to be uh, have a much bigger footprint in Miami. Mm-hmm. It was the home to thousands of immigrants from Haiti. And as development in Miami began to happen, an area not far from here began growing, expanding, moving north. And sometimes those of you who use Google Maps, you'll put in Little Haiti and it will pop up the design district. You could literally be at the Little Haiti Cultural Center and it'll it'll correct you to tell you that you're in the design district. I've always wanted to say something to somebody like, how do we stop this? (laughs) Yeah. Instagram geotags does the same thing. It like updates after you put Little Haiti in save. 
to design district. Yeah. So to pay attention when you're posting that you give the right district recognition. <laughs> For sure. I was going to say to piggyback on what you're saying about the growth from different areas, we were at the community meeting last night about the Magic City Innovation District, and I found it really interesting that in their presentation, they tried to talk about the designation of Little Haiti in 2016, almost like a good thing. But the designation identifies a shrunken area. Yeah. It's been a, a difficult battle. Yeah. I mean, that entire presentation was like just for image. Like they weren't, they didn't really care to like actually try to like to explain what was happening. It was really deceptive. They just kind of like pull from people's energy and frustrations. Yeah. Well, you've written that this project is not just a commentary on the issue. It's a line in the sand or a flag on the moon. What does the project look like? These these marketing tools are, are visual metaphor for that encroachment line that's happening. It's easier to identify this design district creep as opposed to the Magic City Innovation mm -hmm. District because it doesn't exist yet. Um, and so we wanted to respond to the thing that is most actively attacking the space. And by replacing this tool we felt like that was kind of being like, I'm drawing the line here. You can't come anymore. Also, a part of the intention behind the the project is making sure that these umbrellas are given to residents in Little Haiti. They're not objects that are for sale. They're not objects that are going to be predominantly just in retail spaces. Like, hey, pick this up. It's going to be like, how can I connect with my actual neighbor and give this to a person? So door to door. Absolutely. Describe the umbrellas. So they're bright red, reminiscent of the Haitian flag, red with white text and blue text mixed in together. And they also have a Haitian parable on them. So Naja, in thinking about Oh Miami, was like, is there any Haitian proverb or something that we can incorporate with the project? And I found one that says, Kaikule trompe soleil, mais pas trompe la pluie, which means a leaky roof fools the sun, but it doesn't fool the rain. Um, and when I said that to Naja, Naja was like, yeah, like, <laughs> that's, that's exactly It's like, it. don't send me anything else. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we kind of expanded the narrative even more from there. And like at first when we were designing them, we were kind of like, maybe we should make them look different. But then we realized that responding to them very visually and like in a very like strong way would make a lot more sense and like... I'm glad we <laughs> together with that. It it's great. very bold. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Yeah, and you have billboards for people that aren't getting a personal umbrella. They can experience the umbrella. They could have two week billboard. Yeah, a two week billboard. Yeah, well, we have so, photographs. We'll yes. we'll post those. Yeah. Billboards are hard to come by that are affordable, <laughs> especially in the footprint of Little Haiti. So yeah. it was like. Very slim pickings. Interesting. I found the one. Yeah. And shout out to Miami. I think it was a good solution to having sort of a pre-promotional, like a cryptic kind of pre-promotional element yeah. of this project in its neighborhood. Yeah. And unfortunately, it was replaced with a gun show. Yeah. <laughs> like really quickly. Like yeah. really quickly. Two, overnight. Two overnight. Yeah. yeah. How will you go about distributing these? What happens next? So we're going to be dropping them off on people's doorsteps. Like with some of them specifically, we're going to like arrange them so that we can photograph them in a way that's like where you can kind of see these lines of umbrellas. Otherwise, we're just going to be knocking, starting off on our mail route kind of and in our little 
the area right around us and just kind of like hoping to expand as we continue the project beyond Poetry Month to the whole neighborhood and eventually have something like similar to like the valet stands where they like just keep getting replenished every once in a while. Just just drop some in some valet stands in the design district. Yeah, I said that in the beginning and I was told to break to Reel it in, which well, is accurate. I, I, I don't know. It's just a thought. It just came to mind. But, you know. Which I wanted to... Whatever you think is safe, I want you to be able to complete your project. Well, no. The people in design district don't scare me. But no. um, just kind of going back to talking about how amazing Oh Miami is and in the intention that the Melody mentioned and like giving ownership to other folks. Um, doing a project with Oh Miami, you don't feel like you're doing something that they commissioned and yeah. they have a certain amount of control over your artistic vision. Yeah. There's so much autonomy. And even, you know, they were they were down to be like, let's guerrilla style, like take these umbrellas out of the, you know? And so just to have that kind of support for whatever we thought about doing was great. And I wanted to, to say that. Yeah. I mean, immediately seeing Michelle and Naja's proposal, which was elegantly executed. Sometimes someone will, will send a proposal and it's just a bare sketch of like poem on the sky. And you're like, okay, but how and why? And theirs was impeccable from just the immediate presentation. And so we got it. We were like, well, that is gorgeous. It was beautifully designed. But then the concept of having that interaction where well you when you're acknowledging a resident mm -hmm. and then giving them an umbrella in the rain just immediately made me my eyes well up with tears i'm an easy crier <laughs> i can't not feel like i'm even if i laugh a little bit i like weep so many but, feelings. <laughs> but this one was like okay guys please count me in on one of your street team days because talk about um, empathy i just want to see someone's reaction when they're wet and you hand them a big, gorgeous golf umbrella that can fit at least two people. Yeah. I'm, I'm there. <laughs> Give me the schedule. Well, yeah. they are up for going out into districts. In particular, <laughs> the one I wanted to share now, Melody shared with me yesterday some great sonic experiences yeah. of, are these the bombs, the these Chiquita the bombs? Oh, I really wanted to see what they look like. I want them. Uh, this is one of the projects they've infiltrated into grocery stores. Tell us what this one is. So we're always trying to find playful ways to get poetry in an unexpected way. And for six years now, we've been trying to get into Publix, and they just repeatedly say no or just ignore our requests. And so uh, <laughs> our poetry fruit stickers came out of that frustration. And we made thousands of sheets of these stickers, and we've been just distributing the stickers at our events and people are going into the produce aisle at various grocery stores, not just Publix, but like Sedano's and Winn-Dixie and Presidente and sticking these on melons. And I would be an ambassador of stickers. There you go. Please provide please, me please as many as possible. Um, we'll do. But in the same spirit, we, the act of putting poetry onto a surface in itself is poetic, but then in just empowering people to like stop and have a moment and engage with another person and and the act of also it's like there's a generosity in putting poetry in public space that we're really drawn to. The last ride of Jose Marti is dear to my heart as a project, even though I never saw it in person. I've watched the video and I'd love to share the backstory mm -hmm. of that 
performance. So uh, the last writer, Jose Marti, I would say, was one of the really poignant moments for me at the beginning of Oh Miami. So I came on board in 2013, and I had some life-changing experiences in that. But it wasn't until 2014 that friend of ours, who's a character actor, he's a, he's a theater teacher, just out of the blue was like, hey, guys, I would love – he's like, I have a crazy idea. I would love to dress up as Jose Marti, <laughs> ride on a white horse down Cayocho, reciting poems in English and in Spanish and handing white roses. And we all immediately pictured it. That's always a sign for me of, of a good idea. When someone's like, hey, I have an insane idea. I'm like, okay, you know, rubbing palms together. And then when they describe it and it's like the little microfilm just like, you know, mm-hmm. plays. And so it was kind of like what I thought would be an impossible endeavor. And just immediately I found a white horse on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew that it, all horses to me were brown? I found a white horse. The guy that owned the horse was also a poet. And so we just, in a matter of a few weeks, made this happen. And the folks at Versailles were really excited. And and so he rode and stopped at the coffee shop. And we were surrounded by these beautiful Cuban old timers that were reciting the poems alongside him. And when you see and hear Ivan Lopez, he is Marti. Like, we don't have recordings of Marti, but I, I feel like he's just embodies him. So we had the privilege of doing it in 2014 with him. And then just this January in celebration of Marti's birthday on the 28th, the studios of Key West co-produced with us another ride of Jose Marti down in historic Key West. On the white horse, he went to La Dida, which is a iconic spot on Duval Street where Marti actually read. And he read on the balcony And Ivan went to the UM Cuban Heritage Collection and found some archived speeches from the one time that Marti went and and spoke to the revolutionaries in Key West. Wow. That's gorgeous. Well, we are sharing today a video about this last ride, and I thought it was so fun. I want to share it with our listeners. y de mortales engaños y de sublimes dolores. Yo he visto en la noche oscura llover sobre mi cabeza los rayos de lumbre pura de la divina belleza. como un reflejo, dos veces vi el alma, dos, cuando murió el pobre viejo, cuando ella me dijo adiós. No te haga la guagia, deja eso en la fintarada. Tremendous. Keep me posted on his next appearance. <laughs>
<laughs> I would love to meet Jose Marti. Oh, yeah. I was just in Cuba where he is, of course, a national hero as well. And it's just wonderful to make this connection between Miami and Cuba in such a vivid and poetic way. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a huge pleasure. And Cubans have poetry. It's a, it's ingrained in them. So to see people that weren't expecting to have Marti walk up and read to them, and then they read the same poem alongside them, like that they've known for eighty years, is extraordinary experience. That's wonderful. Well, each year, Oh Miami prints a bag that they just give away to anybody as long as they last. That features a poem of the year. And this year's poem by Mia S. Willis is gorgeous, and we have her reading it for us. It's called Hedicomb, and it's uh, the first poem in the Cave Conum chapbook that we produce. So every Oh Miami, we have a Cave Conum chapbook winner who gets a residency at the Betsy Hotel and reading and we produce this limited chapbook so Mia was the finalist selected by Donna Lundy this year and when we read the poem our colleague Christina Frigo was like that looks like that should be on the bag and we all just said yeah, absolutely so we made it in a hot pink tote bag our first hot pink and we make a thousand each April until supplies last you can only get them at our events but I brought you one and Mia just blew us away. Mia's incredible. They come from the uh, spoken word scene, and it was such an honor to have them almost essentially kick off the festival. This is an amazing poem. I woke up this morning on fire, which is to say that I woke up in Florida <laughs> today, which is to say that Florida is always hot because the devil always has business here that this house has been burning since he fell from heaven and landed on Seminole shores. I woke up this morning ablaze, which is to say that I woke up black in Florida, which is to say that being black in Florida is knowing that everyone can see the smoke, but that no one is coming to help, that the first responders see your size and decide to let you burn yourself out, that whole city blocks the color of your skin get reduced to the color someone else calls it. I woke up this morning skin melting into my bed sheets, which is to say that I woke up black and queer and femme in Florida, which is to say that Florida is the pile of kindling where mothers are forced to give birth to dead babies, where the only thing black and woman and welcome is a barrel with a bullet that whispers death to the bodies it pours itself into, and ain't that a metaphor? How both the barrels and the bodies be black, but the only one be protected by the law. I woke up this morning to a fire alarm, which is to say that I woke up black and femme and queer in Florida, which is to say that Florida screams at me to get out while I still can, that damn it, there's smoke coming from the pyres and it's only a matter of time before they call you a faggot and they make you into one, that every kiss is clandestine tinderbox, every touch fans the flames, every sigh is grassland smoldering around us simply because I love the way she glows, and ain't that a metaphor, that this body be phosphorus tip so full of light that the stick shrivels underneath its holy? I will 
woke up this morning gasping for air. I woke up this morning choking on the smoke. I woke up this morning calling for the officers and the water in their fire hoses instead of running from it. And ain't that a metaphor? How Florida makes scorch marks of my black, my queer, my femme, and calls itself the sunshine state like that shit is worth celebrating. And ain't that a metaphor? Ain't this a metaphor? And shouldn't I be thankful? Because after all, I woke up this morning Like I said, an amazing poem by Mia Willis. Artist Sandra March created a community engagement project with a performance that took place just this last Saturday at Loomis Park on Miami Beach. And the ingredients were poetry, flip-flops, and water. What was that a recipe for? So the Beaches of Border was a poetic migration, and we had specialty flip-flops that imprinted poems on the sand in English, Spanish, and in Creole. And we had a few poets recite poems along our walk on the lifeguard stands out of Bullhorn. Uh, we had uh, Jose Alavares and Natalie Center Sipico and Raymond Antrobus. And so it was poetic action, but then the work shared really sort of touched on migration and immigration. And um, some of the flip-flops had, for instance, one pair said citizen and then imprinted illegal. So we just had hundreds and hundreds of poems imprinted and layered on top of each other. The beach is a border. This is beach as a border, so we're gonna we're gonna go down to the beach. We're actually gonna walk on the top part of the beach, uh, and we'll we'll walk a ways. And every now and then, there's gonna be a poem, so we'll stop and huddle up and, and hear a poem from, from one of our visiting poets. This is day 20 of the El Miami Poetry Festival. Our goal is for every single person in Miami-Dade County to encounter a poem during the month of April. It's kind of a living poem, so we shouldn't explain it. We should just do it. Good morning, Miami. Uh, my name is Jose Olivares. Um, I want to say thank you to Sandra March for inviting me to be a part of this. Me llamo Jose Olivares. Me da mucho gusto estar aquí con ustedes. Voy a leer una poema que se llama My family never finished migrating, we just stopped. We invented cactus. To survive the winters, we created steel. At my dad's mill, I saw a man dressed like a Martian walk straight into fire. The flames licked his skin, but like a pet, it never bit him. In the desert, they find our baseball caps, our empty water bottles, but never our bodies. Even the best ice agents can't track us through the storms, but I have a theory. Some of our cousins don't care about LA or Chicago. They build a sanctuary underneath the sand, under the skin we shed so we can wear the desert like a cobija, under the bones of our loved ones, bones worn thin as thorns to terrorize blue agents, bones worn thin as guitar strings so when the wind blows, we can follow the music home. Thank you. I love the idea of the flip-flops and making poems in sand. It's all so ephemeral, just like life. And I also love how O Miami cultivates creativity in the world's youngest poets in schools. And the name of this ongoing intervention 
is the sunroom. You told me yesterday you think third and fourth graders are the most natural-born poets in the world. That's an absolute fact. If you're looking for a poem that is going to either break your heart or make you laugh, uh, third graders got it. And it just comes out really naturally for them. And our program just essentially, we bring in um, community poet, local poet, into a classroom. And uh, we're helping create gainful employment for local writers. But basically, we're just creating a safe space for kids to have creative expression where poetry isn't necessarily guaranteed in the school systems anymore. And this school that we're going to introduce today is Morningside. It's the newest school in the program. And Melody is especially excited about what's coming out of that program. Yeah, it's our first opportunity to really teach in Spanish, English, French, and in Creole. We have a phenomenal teacher who is fluent in all the languages, so she's adapted our curriculum to pair. And the kids write these witty, funny poems in French-lish and in Spanglish, and they're just phenomenal. So eventually the work produced in the sunroom ends up in public space during the next year's festival. So whenever we get an opportunity, we'll just stick the kids' poem on there because it's always better than anything else anyone writes. <laughs> well, let's hear these two, one after the other. They're the finale for today. My name is Ariana DeSantos. I'm in third grade. I go to Morningside, and uh, this is my poem. Teal. This color is two colors combined, so soft and nice. Tastes like sea salt, looks so pretty. It stole the ocean's color, the color sparkles in the sunlight. I love to see this type of color. Makes me smile for a long while. Hello, my name is Eduardo LaCroix, and I'm in fourth grade, and I go to the school named Morningside Cade Academy, and my poem is about onions, and it's in Creole. Here's my poem. Zoyant en boulet, zemwa. A chéri soleil, moi manger zoyon pile, zoyon c'est bon légume. Moi manger. I need to learn Creole. <laughs> I speak French, but Creole is escaping me. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird, and today we're streaming on Jolt Radio from the studio in Miami with a conversation at the intersection of art, poetry, and community. Thank you for joining me here today. Thank Michelle you so Lisa Polisant, Naja Moon, and Melody Santiago Cummings. What a great chill show. I great. really enjoyed it. Visit freshartinternational.com to explore other conversations we've captured in Florida and take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review Fresh Art International on Apple Podcasts. The John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Emily Hall Tremaine Foundation, Locust Projects, and the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, Tempest Projects, Artists in Residence in Everglades, and our listeners make this podcast possible. Thank you to Jolt Radio for hosting me for going on four years. It's been a tremendous ride Go to freshartinternational.com and click on the red support button to give us a boost. And stay tuned for more contemporary art talk.